Good Friday evening, and welcome to another edition of Folks Talking Sports, presented by Houston Round Bar Review and sponsored by Steve Saxenian and the Saxenian family. I'm Chris Gardner, co-founder of the Houston Round Bar Review. Been around since long as these two guys, my guests, partners, have been alive. James Mueller from the <laughs> Daily Cougar and Yanez from the Community Impact Newspaper. Young man, how are you today? Cold. Cold, yes. All of us are cold, and it's, it's funny. We're cold here in H-Town. Willie Gibson is in Ohio. He joined me yesterday. And I think yesterday in, in Ohio, it was 24 degrees, something like that. And it was snowing, but it was icy. And it was bad enough ice-wise that it took Will twice as long to get home from work than usual. Uh -huh. Okay, so, and I said to him then, and you're used to it. <laughs> so that shows you what we couldn't probably handle that at all if that would have been bad like that down here in H-Town. But let's get into it. And we're going to talk mostly U of H, athletics, football, basketball. But just within the last few minutes, the NBA announced the Rising Stars participants for the rookies and sophomores. And... <clears throat> I got to say, and I didn't know much about it because I'm not going to watch most of this like I used to, but the captains, four, it's four teams, seven youngsters for each team. Hall of Famer is Hall of Fame player picked, uh, had a draft. Rick Barry, Isaiah Thomas, Gary Payton, and James Worthy were the captains for the team. Looks like Isaiah Thomas had the first overall pick, okay? And this is rookies and second-year players. Isaiah Thomas, Mr. Detroit Piston, and if y'all don't know, I am a Pistons fan till I die. Been a Pistons fan since 1986. So Isaiah Thomas, Mr. Detroit Piston, with the first pick. Have y'all seen the results? I have not. I've seen the results. I didn't see like the order they picked them. But yeah. Isaiah Thomas picked Anthony Edwards. Mm. Not Kate Cunningham, Anthony, Anthony Edwards with the first pick. And then second pick, uh, John Barry. Who was Rick, Rick Barry? Yeah, Rick Barry picked Evan Mobley. LaMelo Ball's third. Cole Anthony was fourth. Josh Giddy fifth. Scotty Barnes, sixth. Kate Cunningham, the first pick of this year's draft, was picked seventh. And then teammate Sadiq Bay. But ironically, the Team Barry team has Alperin Shingoon on it and Jay Sean Tate. So, Rocket fans, there you go there. Jalen Green is on the team. He's on James Worthy's team. So, split up there. But it's weird. Team Barry, Evan Mobley, Kay Cunningham, Franz Wagner, Jay Sean Tate, Isaac Coro, Alperin Shingoon, Dyson Daniels from the G League. So, I think Team Barry has a good mix. But it's just interesting. I'm like, Isaiah, you're Mr. Piston. You're not going to show love to the first pick in the draft from the Detroit Pistons. First pick, hell, a long time. Long time since the Pistons were, were relevant in the draft. And you're going to pick Anthony Edwards? So I wonder if there's any, what uh, what is it called? Pistons Twitter has had any reaction to that while Detroit is playing right now. But anyway, let's talk some football. That's one reason why I got you guys on. Signing day, what is it now? 
because we got the first one in December. Is this the used to be the official signing day? Now it's the February signing day. I don't know whatever you want to call it. What did uh, Coach Hogerson and U of H football do? James, Andy, whoever wants to enlighten me, please. I mean, they didn't like make Dana available to the media, but um, I mean, they did their typical, you know, Twitter, Instagram, welcome each player. Um, they got some nice, they've got some nice pickups. A lot of some of the guys they signed, like we already knew were coming, um, but just had not officially signed like Joseph Manjack, the receiver from USC. He officially signed the other day. Um, but then there were some other ones that like announced their commitments too. Um, so it was a mix of both. Um, yeah. What are your what are your thoughts, Andy? Do you have anything to add? Any any of your pearls of wisdom to add with the guys who Coach Colgo signed officially? No, I was just gonna kind of add on to to. I, I believe it was the question you were gonna ask. Just like overall thoughts on on what they've been able to do. I saw. Um, I I don't remember what exactly platform it was. I believe it was two twenty four seven sports or one of those outlets that moved Houston's recruiting class to like the second in the American Athletic Conference, and I believe it was top. I want to say top 50, top 60 in the whole country. It's 49. Uh, 49. So okay. Top 50. So uh, with the last couple of moves, they've been able to rise. Um, and there's been some noise. I believe they had two four-star recruits out of the whole class. Um, and the rest, three-star, no five-star recruits. But, I mean, there's not much more to add other than a lot of movement, especially a lot of transfer movement uh, from uh, across the country, around the country. And just going to get read off the names. This is from uhcougars.com. A little homework before uh, tonight's show. Tevin Shaw, offensive lineman from Manville, 6'5", 285, three-star prospect per 24-7. Chose U of H over Arkansas State, Colorado, Colorado State, Florida A&M, among others. So that's interesting. That's an interesting mix right there. Arkansas State, Colorado Colorado State and FAMU. That's okay. Uh, next, Logan Compton, tight end, 6'5, 240 from Tomball. He was at New Mexico Military School, ranked the number two Juco tight end nationally and number four Juco in Texas by 24 7 sports. Okay. Three star prospect. And you know, I'm not big on stars, but it's part of the promotion where schools want to, you know, get out there publicly. Chose U of H over Washington State, Memphis. Buffalo, Florida Atlantic, and Liberty, among others. Okay, that's an interesting mix. And then, as James mentioned, Joseph Manjack from Tomball, 6'3", transfer from USC. Young man who catches passes without wearing gloves. He's an old school receiver. I saw it like that, 6'3", 205, good size. He was under-recruited, because I think we did talk about him on a previous FTS Unrecruited out of high school at Tombaugh Memorial. And his coach couldn't really figure out why. Uh, you know, I think people said he, he looks, he was slow. He, he clocked slow in the 40. Yet nobody caught him <laughs> in the games. So, okay, I'm good with that. If, you know, I'm not big on 40 times. If, if you catch passes and don't get caught, you're, you're the kind of guy for me that I would like on my team. So other guys like that. Let's see, it's a long bio there. Sam Brown, another receiver, West Virginia transfer, 6'2", 200. Good size there. So it looks like Coach Holgerson's getting 
good size receivers. But I wanted to get your thoughts because so far, correct me if I'm wrong, it hasn't been, it has not got a commitment from a quarterback yet, signing from a quarterback. Is that what I tell you guys if he's going to go Juco for that or, or what? So, um, yeah, I haven't seen a ton. I saw earlier um, there was a guy named Darson Herman that's taking like a preferred walk-on spot as a quarterback. Um, someone sent that to me today. I had not seen that. Um, I don't know if it's been official or not, but um, that's the only quarterback news I've heard um, in terms of adding on to the class. Any, any height, weight on him? Voice, yeah, 6'3", like 220, um, 4'7", and he's from Georgetown High School. I don't know where exactly that is. Oh, there's there's one in, in Texas, so that should be in-state if it's that Georgetown, um, possibly. Okay. So, let, and then we got, how about you, Andy? Have you heard anything more about quarterbacks for U of H? I have not, but it, it's interesting you bring up that point because I know they, they're, they've they lost two quarterbacks throughout the course of the season and Sophia and Sue and, and Maddox Cock, who they were they were real high on when they got him to sign for, for the team and didn't even last a full season with them. So, James, Andy, either of you, have y'all heard that? Because I'm assuming it's still a priority to to, to get a quarterback. Going to go the Juco route for it or or – or, or what? <clears throat> yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, obviously, Tune is going to be the starter, assuming he stays healthy. Um, but they still they 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 need to find his replacement. Um, I probably will start in that second string role. Um, but I I expect them to probably sign, try to find someone. They they've been really heavy on JUCO, like you've said. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if they went the JUCO route or if they pick up like a late high school commit that's sort of been overlooked. But I, I, don't, I don't have any insider information on that yet. That's fine. Uh, looking at the other signees, got another a three-star, another JUCO cornerback, Abdul Latif. Was it Audu? Cornerback from College of the Canyons in California. Uh, chose Houston over Memphis. Hey, how about that? Houston beat Memphis for two. Two players. That's that's always a good sign. Beating your, you know, in conference rival, Washington State, Texas State, Nevada, Missouri State, New Mexico State, and Southern Illinois, among others. And he enrolled the U of H last month. Uh, Jamal Morris, linebacker from Oklahoma. Okay, so transfer six two two fifteen. So it's it's a mix of, uh, and he enrolled also last month at school. He, he played at Fort Bend. So it looks like. The staff is either going back to um, getting some of the transfer assignees who played high school ball locally and just left and decided to come back. That's, I'll, I always say, never close that door because, you know, the grass is not always greener and some talented young, young men and women want to come back. So do that. So that's, that's good. And a quick hit, surprise for you guys. I'm not – if it happens – uh, Coach Chewy might join us this evening. Uh, <clears throat> weather permitting, they know that they did arrive late last night from Tulsa after winning in Tulsa Wednesday. They were stuck in Tulsa Thursday for much of the day because of the weather. They got back late Thursday. So Coach Chewy has been invited, but, you know, they're preparing for SMU Sunday. 
So I'm not sure if he'll be able to join us this evening. But let's talk about the women's team snapping that losing streak. Six-game losing streak. It, uh, I'm going to say what I heard. Y'all tell me if I heard differently or, or similar. <clears throat> Some folks were, were getting a question, uh, Coach Huey, during that losing streak about is it time to move in another direction? Had I heard anything like that during the losing streak? I'm going to go ahead and, and say no, but I remember um, really uh, in the midst of that six-game losing streak, it was so kind of obviously the game that started it was the, the close loss to UCF where um, they rallied. They had it would seem like probably four or five, maybe even more opportunities to tie the game at the very end of, on the final possession and just were not able to get over the hump against UCF. But I remember uh, in our Potsdam Jamma podcast talking with Dayon, we after that loss, we kind of discussed how uh, it could be used more as a positive. They're finally, they showed that they could compete with UCF, who they hadn't been able to, to really um honestly compete at all. It always seemed like they were losing by double digits whenever they had to play the Knights in previous seasons. And then the completely opposite happened where um, they were just unable to really carry any type of momentum. It seemed like it, it did the opposite and really offensive struggles during that six game losing streak. I believe um, they, they hadn't been able to score more than 60 points throughout the entire losing streak that got capped off by the abysmal performance against USF. Um, On national but, television. For sure, and and uh, good for them. They were able to pull off a one-point win against Tulsa. Now they have to turn around and, and really, at this point, there's not any chance that an at-large bid is probably less than 1%, probably less than 0.5%. So they it's zero. <laughs> no, yeah. it's zero. Yeah, for sure. Um <laughs> So from this point forward, really has got to focus on trying to, you know, get get going at the right time so they can, once the American Athletic Conference tournament starts at the end of the season, they can make a run and, and steal a bit because really that's that's the only hope they had to, to be able to reach the goal that they set forth at the beginning of the season. You know, they've had the hashtag of unfinished business, and it has certainly been a disappointment. Um, you know, they had the, the shaky start to the season seemed like they had figured stuff out and then after the UCF loss it just all fell apart again. James what do you want to add about the U of H women's basketball? Yeah I mean Andy hit most of it I mean the, the this next month of games is a stretch where they get they get an opportunity to sort of try to work out those kinks and like Andy said you know get on a roll when it comes um, time for the conference tournament because that's the only way they're gonna have a shot at sneaking in um We'll see how much this win does um, for them. I know they were down, I think, 12 or something after the first quarter against Tulsa. So um, they, they, they showed uh, their ability to come back there. And so we'll see if they're able to ride this momentum or if it's going to continue to just be, you know, an up and down season where it's just periods of wins and then long periods of losses. You know, you touched on it. <clears throat> Excuse me. The team did come back. They trailed in that game and came back to, to defeat Tulsa on a, on a putback bucket by uh, Bria Patterson. So the comeback kind of showed that they had not quit on the coaching staff, which, you know, some folks were beginning to wonder because 
of some of the poor performances and the poor shooting and the blowout losses made you wonder if they had just tuned out the coaches. <clears throat> so the comeback was a positive. It's kind of hard to really know what's been happening with the team because Bria Patterson had been injured for a few games. We never really told were told what was wrong. Diamond Gladney, point guard, missed a few games. Uh, I heard personal reasons, but never anything more than that. So they did not have their full lineup, you know, during the six-game losing streak. So that probably contributed to some of the losses. But we, we, we don't know. Still no Zoom calls, right, unless y'all know something I don't know. No Zoom calls, no interaction with the media, you know, very much uh, from the media department. Um, you know, the interaction I have with Coach Huey is, you know, direct. But he was noncommittal regarding injuries or anything like that. So kind of left in the dark about all that. So it's a stark contrast between women's basketball and men's basketball. So I'm going to stop that because I forgot to say this at the top of the show. Allow me to vent, young men, for just a few seconds. <clears throat> Take it away. Before tonight's show, Coach Silas, Stephen Silas with the Rockets, Rockets head coach Stephen Silas is on his Zoom call in San Antonio before the Rockets face the Spurs in a few minutes tip-off. I don't know what it is about AT&T Center. I don't know if it's the Spurs, audio people, engineering people. We could not hear Jack on the Zoom call. The in questions, in, the media questions from me in the room, no idea. Our silence right now, if we stop talking, would be the level of audio we heard, level of volume we heard from the questions. No idea. Just none whatsoever. This is the NBA franchise. Okay, as one colleague is, y'all know, but well, I want to say his name because I'm going to out him like that. But one of our colleagues is, y'all know, you know, we texted afterwards, a billion-dollar business cannot figure out how to have good audio for a Zoom call for the media. Seriously. And I thought it was just the Rockets being, you know, being the visiting team. So I checked out Coach Pop's pregame session. Just as bad. <laughs> so I don't know what it is. If it's the building is too old, that's an excuse because they still should have enough money to be able to fix it. If you have to have multiple microphones to pass around to the media in the room to ask a question, we had no idea what was being asked of the coaches. None. So I did the best I could with audio software to boost it. And even some of the, even then you still couldn't hear some of the questions in the room. So for any fans who are watching now on Twitter, YouTube, whatever, and go to my channel and see the pregame session from Coach Silas and wonder why it's so poor in spots, it's because the NBA does a crappy job in San Antonio. Let's call it out like that. The Spurs, if it's y'all, so be it. If y'all y'all don't know what y'all are doing, so be it. If y'all shorthanded, I don't know what it is, enlighten me. Because it's not the first time it's been poor audio for Rockets Spurs game in San Antonio. So the last time first Rockets met there, a few weeks ago, crappy audio. It's, it, it was just ridiculous. So now I'm done. <clears throat> okay. Have y'all had bad experiences like that on, on Zoom calls for games 
friend, just period. Anything bad like that? Andy, in your job, James, in, in your job at the Cougar. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll start. I'll start with my. Um, it's, I mean, even going back whenever I was still at U of H covering uh, UH athletics for Cougar, um, you guys can attest like occasionally, depending on you know what stadium it is. Sometimes like it's literally just dead spots, and you have to the SID for the men's basketball team apologizing for for <clears throat> I mean just the bad connection. But even then, uh, now that um, occasionally, whenever I also have to do Zoom interviews with a couple of other people, there are times where. And honestly, it has to do with the internet connection in our facility that, that I it's just dead spots that literally have to take my laptop. My mid-interview, it'll cut off and I have to move to another spot because uh, the Wi-Fi is not good. So uh, 2020 problems. But yeah, for an NBA team, especially if it's something, maybe if it's season long, maybe it was just today. But I mean, they got to figure out something to change, whether it's like I said, literally move or they hold the meeting somewhere else or add extensions to the Wi-Fi or at least a Wi-Fi hotspot on the room. But Andy, it wasn't Wi-Fi. It was, uh, the, it was the audio was, itself. The audio was just, was, was well, awesome. In that instance, they just got to do what UH does and have a microphone that amplifies your voice whenever they literally hand it to you. And, and that way, I mean, UH seems to have it figured out whenever they record their art stuff that they post on YouTube. So yeah. that's different. That's, that's just not having the proper equipment. James, how about you? Yeah, I, I mean, I can echo what Andy said. I feel like UH has done a pretty good job in terms of, like, home stuff, especially in 2020, but some of the away games for both football and basketball, um, when they do Zoom, uh, there's just parts where they freeze up or you can't hear anything. Don't don't get me started whenever uh, the football team played at Rice. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. That was not good at all. And, go ahead. Uh, Come on. Go ahead, guys. <laughs> well, let Andy, you tell it, because, James, I don't want to get you in trouble because you're still at the Cougars. So, <laughs> so Andy, you tell it. No, James would be fine, but I, I remember just it was super laggy. Like every time uh, anyone would try to ask, it would literally be cutting in and out. And I'm not sure if it was just the Wi-Fi in the press box that we had at Rice uh, Stadium, but literally you'd have Dana Holgerson trying to ask, like, "Oh, I can't hear him. I can't hear him." And it's just not a. It was not a good <laughs> Zoom session after that game. You know, and and uh, Mark Berman from Fox 26 Sports. Uh, he wasn't on today's call, and thank thankfully, because we've had this issue sometimes, other Rocket games, road games, and if, if uh, Rocket Media, Rocket PR department goes to Mark to ask a question, Mark says flat out, <clears throat> Coach, I can hear the question at all, so could you mind, you know, so if you answer this already, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, so he says it point blank. <laughs> yeah. So it's not the first time, but the Spurs are just awful. And, and my goodness, post game tonight should be an adventure. <clears throat> so I'm not looking forward to that at all. But anyway, okay. U of H basketball. Thoughts on the win over Tulane? <clears throat> Andy, were you working? Did you see it? Read about it. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I was able to catch the tail end of that game, uh, really most of the second half. But I, I just thought it was impressive overall. Uh, honestly, kind of carrying on with the theme that they've had all season where um, it's, it's, to be honest, it's kind of been a different player each game that if they needed a basket, um, it's someone else. And then in this game, you know, Fabian White had a couple of big baskets for Ramon Walker. I think that was the most interesting thing where 
Uh, Kelvin Sampson kind of rode with Ramon Walker, left Jamal Shedd for extended rest in that second half. Uh, I believe Jamal Shedd was in foul trouble too. Oh, yeah. So four mm-hmm. fouls so that, with, with like a minute into the second half starting. He set out 14 minutes straight. Uh, yeah. So uh, I'm sure that was a big factor. But even then, to be able to to really hold Tulane at bay and, and put that game away, I think that shows again, like we've talked about, the, this team is. They have veterans all over the place with their senior leadership, but it always seems like, to be honest, it seems like they've been there, done that. They don't really panic in terms of whenever a team makes a run, and it's always someone, whether in this past game that it was Fabian White or previous games where they've seen Kyler Edwards step up, Tajay Moore, even going back all the way to the first game of the season, it just seems like, again, they're a veteran of the team and they know what they need to do. And I I believe I saw Kelvin Sampson or one of the, the... quotes I don't remember it was post game it was probably in the zoom availability he had afterward where he talked about this team they just they, they know how to win James what were, you, what were your thoughts during the game <clears throat> I thought Tulane played well yeah I, I agree um going into the game I thought it would be it, it was a possibility for an upset just because Tulane has I think I've liked what Ron Hunter's been able to do with them and they they shot the ball pretty well um in the first half um and they were able to, you know, make the run there. I think they opened up like on a 10-3 run in the second half or whatever to get it um, within five or seven, something like that. So I was impressed with what I saw from Tulane. Um, but like Andy mentioned, uh, Ramon Walker, he, he had a rough shooting night in that first half. But then after Tajay hit that three um, to end a Tulane run, he had a layup and then a three back-to-back. Um, so th- those are big moments that like stick out to me just for, you know, key development. Um giving him some confidence and then uh kelvin mentioned this post game but just the difference it made when jamal was in for the last three four minutes you you could sense that you could see on the court just how much that meant and then you know uh was able to get back up to double digits and hold off Tulane. um so yeah um it was it was a good win um and there was a lot of good things i saw from both teams yeah i i hope Jamal learns something from the foul trouble against Tulane because the fourth foul uh, was like around the 18 10 mark of the second half. So early in the second half, he already had three fouls. He tried to pick up a charge. So, you know, block charge call. It's 50 50 call. You can't do that. He can't do that. Well, he's the only point guard true point guard on on the squad now because of injuries you know we all know that he can't do that give up the bucket get out of the way you know the f the reasoning behind it yeah you want to be in position make a player defensive player for your team okay but because of the 50 50 call jamal you just can't do that (laughs) you just you just can't and sitting down on the bench for 14 minutes the offense struggled without Jamal and James you touched on it because coach Sampson said it after the game when Jamal came back in around that four minute mark the offense much better flow clicked you know penetration by Jamal layups you know it was much better add the question here we got a question from uh Jay put it on the screen um Jay her, let me um, answer like this. And, and all three of us were mistaken. 
a few weeks ago about Jamal Shedd and, you know, injury and all that kind of stuff. A couple of weeks ago, I think Coach Sampson said that Marcus is done for the year. Okay? He said that a couple weeks ago. So, well, he, he said there's no chance of Marcus coming back this season. That's what he said. Marcus and Jamal, no chance. Today, Coach Sampson said, and you can go to the YouTube channel, pat on the back for me, Houston Ron Barview, and listen for, listen for yourself and judge for yourself. So at the end of the session, he mentions that Marcus is in a boot. Um, and we, could, we saw Marcus, especially at halftime, right before, well, at the end of the half. <laughs> it, it, well, end of the, end of the first half, and Marcus was trying to hold back people talking trash to Tulane. I thought back before we saw Marcus in the boot. Coach Sampson is having to sit Marcus down at practice. Marcus is being a coach. Marcus is doing upper body work with Coach Alan Bishop, strength coach. So I'm not John Houston, the shaman, Mr. Medicine Man, who seems to have all these magic touches. Coach Sampson did not say that there's a chance Marcus will play in March. I'm saying if it's possible, Marcus is going to try to play. You know, he's, if, he, if the bone heals, surgery was successful. I mean, he's younger because I forget who there's an NBA guy. Uh, yes, yeah, someone got that same injury with, with the Mavs. Uh, Tim uh, Hardaway Jr., I think it is. Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, had the same thing. Uh, and the, the, time, the timetable for him was six weeks. Right. So, of course, bodies healed differently, different end. We don't know how, how severe the the break was in, in Tim Jr.'s toe compared to Marcus's, whatever. So I'm going to put it out there. Come March, maybe. So any chance? Yes. I'll just say maybe 2%. But yes, there's a chance Marcus comes back in March. They're not planning for it. They're not expecting it. They're not counting on it. You know, nothing like that. But we never know. You know, we, we saw Jamal shed miraculous uh, healing in, in two days. <laughs> so <laughs> with an injury, we thought was going to keep him out two weeks. So that's me. Chris Gardner saying that. That is not Coach Kelvin Sampson saying that. That is not John Houston saying that. That is not Jeff Conrad. Anybody with U of H basketball saying there's a chance Marcus is going to play in March. I'm saying that. If it's just one or two percent, okay, but we have no reason to believe it's going to be to expect it. But it leads me to this question. Not going to get into all of it, but on ESPN this week, uh, maybe Tuesday or so, maybe even yesterday, there was a discussion about the four teams that made the final four last year and their chances of returning to the final four. What they, you know, the, their chances, what could benefit them to return and what could keep them from returning. Because ironically, I think there's a tweet referenced in the article that these four teams, I'm talking Baylor, Zags, UCLA, U of H, none of them have more than two losses. So at this point, I think as of February 1st, these four teams, four final four participants from the previous year, have the best record of the four teams that made it in the 
following season. What do you think? You guys are smart. Jay, you're smart. Derek, you're smart. What do you think the rationale or the explanation was for U of H to not get back to the Final Four? Oh, it's got to be missing Marcus Sasser. They're, they're going to go through scoring drops like, yeah, without Marcus and Tremont. Both answers are correct because it's depth. You know, depth and, I mean, obviously missing Marcus in the points because what would happen if, I mean, had a case in point against Tulane? What would happen if Jamal Shea gets in foul trouble? The t- offense struggled. So the lack of depth in the backcourt, because frontcourt depth is, is solid. Lack of depth. And it, and it was a coaching, I think, eight member coaches in each team's conference were asked to chime in for the article. And I think it was that I'm not no names were you know given, but an AAC coach commented on how much Jamal Shedd has improved, um, but the lack of depth. What would happen if Jamal gets in foul trouble? What you know? Well, we saw it <laughs> against Tulane <laughs> the struggles. But another point in the article or in the discussion about U of H was how Coach Sampson and the staff always seem to have that one guard that has. The neon green light. It was Rob Gray. You know, it was Armani Brooks. It was Quentin Grimes. Early this season, it was Marcus Sasser. Now it's Kyler Edwards. And part of the quote, not, you know, I'm paraphrasing, was Coach Sampson always seemed to have one guard who can take 15 threes in a game because of that neon green light. Well, that's Kyler Edwards. <laughs> I mean, Kyler Edwards, he may take 15 shots and 13 of them will be threes. He might make three of them, but he's got that neon green light to take those threes. So we see it. It's the coaching philosophy of the team because we've covered the team for a few years. There, There is like a pattern established about a guard in this system that gets to shoot threes all the time. But the difference is now this team has balance because of Josh Carlton in the front court and Fabian White in the front court. So the gist of it was the balance in the front court scoring would be the reason that they could return to the final four. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I would tend to agree again, but it, when you get into making another Final Four run, a lot of it's got to do, you know, it's got to do with matchup. It's honestly, it's got to do with luck. It's got to do, you got to have so many things break your way. I mean, last last season when Houston got made their Final Four run, they had uh, a couple of lucky breaks with some of the other teams ahead of them that fell out. I mean, even the the Tremont Mark uh, tipping that 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 was a big shot that. I mean, he has to be in the right position and, and make the right play. So it's so many variables to control. But I would agree. I think it's, it's interesting, especially, you know, uh, Kevin Sampson has mentioned it. And it's, it's interesting that it's kind of lined up perfectly with when they started conference play. But this team without Marcus Sasser and Tremont Mark, they're they're undefeated up to this point. They're 8-0. and Like you mentioned, a big part of that has to do with that balance. Like, Connor Edwards, it's... In, in in a perfect world, he's their volume scorer. If they need a big basket, they'll probably go to him late in the game. But again, it it 
so far, especially during conference play, it seems like they're more than enough comfortable with going with whoever the hot hand is. And, and they have players that can step up and not just necessarily rely on Kyler Edwards, but Fabian White can hit a big shot. He's done it. Did in last year's NCAA tournament. He's done it a couple of times during this season. They can go to Josh Carlton in the post, in the paint, if they need uh, a basket. Jamal Shedd can create. And really, uh, Tajay Moore has shown, too, uh, that he can hit big shots. So I think certainly from – and it's hard to compare teams because, it, it honestly, this team is a, a lot different from what it was last year. But to be honest, maybe they – like you mentioned, it is a more complete team that – not, you can't necessarily focus in on one target and expect um, to to slow Houston down. Last season, the focus would have been on on Quentin Grimes, and you, you'd probably feel confident being able to, uh, at the very least, muddy the game and have it be a, a, a you know one of those slumber knocker uh, defensive battles. And this year, it's, it's kind of evolved more into. Jamal Shedd, or you can limit him, but even then, they, they've shown that they can kind of stay afloat even without him. Now, now James and Andy, it's almost sound like you read the article as well because part of what you referenced about matchups in the final in the tournament and some luck because we all know we heard that nausea last season. U of H played a double seed every round until they yeah. got to the final four. We all know that. Okay, whatever, wasn't their fault. Okay, but James, what are your what are your thoughts on? Houston's balance and being more dependent on the front court, dependent, reliant on the front court for scoring for this this team now, the team that is 8-0, helping their chance of a possible return to the Final Four. Yeah, I mean, you can see they have this year what they were missing last year, which was that, you know, scoring in the front court. I still think in terms of, like, yes, Josh, Fabian, guys like that can get you buckets, but I think down the stretch of the come March, um, I just think the guard group is so thin. It's going to, I mean, I think they can make a run, but I don't see a final four happening again, just because playing with four guards against some teams, they're going to run into somebody and there's going to be foul trouble, like you said, or just fatigue. You can't have, you know, Kyler Edwards playing 40 minutes two twice in three days. Um, right. So I think, um, you know, the front court can carry them um, and definitely it has so far and it's they're still able to win. But come uh, March, I don't see them it being able to, you know, carry them all the way back to the final four. But like a sweet 16 is very plausible, in my opinion. Yeah, that's 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 fair, a fair assessment. And I, I agree with you. I think this team getting this team as is getting to a sweet 16 would be a success. Because we get really get into the sweet 16. Uh, really top teams advance that far. Top teams who play fast, because I'm not sure you vets could handle a team that plays fast and has goes nine, ten deep, or you know, has five, six, six guards to run at them. And and a trapping team, a team that likes to, you know, full court press, I think would give you mm -hmm. problems. Especially if Jamal Shed gets in, in foul trouble, that's what two yes. capitalized against them. Agreed, because you know, no knock on Tazi more. Tazi's not a point guard. He's doing the best he can uh, when he has the ball in his hands, running the offense when he has to do that. So I'm not. Don't get me wrong. They're going to try to win every game they play. I would just not counting on them to get return back to the Final Four this season. 
I got a lot of positive vibes about next year's team based on who they got coming in and who they have should returning. But as far as this team, this team enjoyed the ride. I'm not sure if they're going to beat Cincinnati Sunday because I don't believe they're going to go undefeated in conference. Okay. Yeah. And these next two games are probably their toughest uh, chat, certainly up to this point at Cincinnati and at SMU. Agreed. And then you got uh, Memphis on Saturday at home. So they should, we would think they're going to lose one of these next three games. Okay. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. The sky won't be, won't fall if it happens, you know, nothing like that. They're still going to the tournament. So it would be nice if another team from the conference would join them in the tournament. Um, <laughs> because, you know, the last two seasons, all of us have kind of predicted that the American would be a send multiple teams to the tournament. This season, for sure, is just U of H. Yeah. You know, SMU's on a winning streak, but their non-conference performance wasn't great. So that's why they're – I think they are – as a, they're in the bubble. I think they were the first like, team out. Yeah, first team out of the of the first four out. So, and but touching on that, Joel Nardi, ESPN. He has Houston a three seed today, as of today, the February fourth bracketology. Houston a three seed, Texas a six seed, in the same quadrant, which which set up a potential matchup of Houston versus Texas. In the round of 32, winner goes to the Sweet 16. As an alum, U of H alum, I would love for that matchup to happen. Uh, you know, being ex- just an extension or another matchup between Coach Sampson and Coach Chris Beard, because back U of H, Texas Tech have played previous years. They match up in the uh, preseason with their scrimmages. The secret scrimmages have happened for a while, so that'd be a good matchup, and it it could be the last chance Houston play Texas <laughs> because I still don't believe the Longhorns would be, be like being the Big Twelve when U of H joins the Big Twelve. Just don't believe that's going to happen, guys. We're going to wrap it up shortly, uh, but I got had a thought. Let me pull up his name here. The Kansas athletic director. What is his name? Let's see here. He spoke to the board early this week. Uh, but, 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 but Travis Goff, he mentioned, he touched on that he believes that when Texas and Oklahoma leave, that the next TV media deal that the Big 12 gets is going to be per team, the average payout per member, Big 12 member is going to be a decrease. He wasn't sure how much it's going to be. I think he, he touched on 10 million, but it wasn't if it was, you know, 10 million per school, per, per payout, whatever. But he's trying to prepare the Kansas people of a decrease, budget decrease, but also trying to get them to donate more <laughs> and not, not rely on, depend on the money from the TV end of it to sustain athletics for Kansas. So, what are your thoughts on? I think we kind of agree that the Big 12 money is going to be less one because it's going to be more teams. It's going to be 12 teams instead of 10. So it's going to be more slices of the pie. But what do you think about that? Because the us and U of H joining the Big 12, what is it right now? Five and a half, six million from the American to what? 20 million per 
let's say 20 and 25, that's great. <laughs> you know, that's great. Whereas Kansas going from 35 to 20, 25 isn't great. What are your thoughts on what you, on that, the payout being less for Big 12 schools? I mean, I think it's a good pitch to try to get donors in because, like you said, you're not replacing – you're not going to be able to replace the Texas and UT Oklahoma markets. They drive a lot of that. And so, yes, while the numbers you presented might not be completely accurate because we don't know exactly how much it's going to drop, it is going to drop. And so, I, I mean, I, I sort of like that, just, you know, being honest up front and being like, you know, we're, we're going to see – uh, you know, a, a deficit or a budget drop. So if you want, you know, uh, Kansas to continue to be able to, you know, I, I don't know exactly how he worded it, but, you know, stay up to the level that or their standards athletically or whatever, um, then, you know, donate and makes sense to me. And Andy, before I come to you, uh, Travis Goff, he kind of, he knows the importance of football. He knows Kansas football has, has I'm going to say this has stunk underachieved for years, so he, he realizes that uh, the importance of football, success on the field will help donations, money, and those things. So he's being honest, and I commend him for that. But what are your thoughts on the impact financially to the Big Twelve schools once Texas and Oklahoma do leave? No, yeah, for sure. Um, overall, in the big picture. Uh, grand, grand scheme of things, obviously that makes sense. Losing uh, uh, those two teams, especially uh, from the football perspective, they generate a lot of revenue and a lot of eyeballs for the conference. Um, and like James said, it's one heck of a pitch to try to get some of the donors to, to give more money to the school. But And I can't remember what article it was or what outlet it was. It Chris, he sent to us a, a while ago regarding um, someone saying that really, it was regarding Pac-12 and how investments and and the athletic program comes comes back, and and you know, it's good for the university overall as a whole. Um, and it certainly hasn't been the case, like you mentioned, with Kansas and football. So uh, you'd imagine it'd be a much bigger deal for a school like Kansas, where uh, really kind of their main attraction is their men's basketball program, their basketball program overall, and not much so their football program. And if they're losing fifteen million dollars in and TV revenue or their slice of the pie obviously is going to affect them a lot more. But um, really, when you look at the alternative, there's not, I mean, it's either do that or whatever. What is the other alternative? Is there any? It stick with eight as the big eight and try to navigate through that. Um, that doesn't seem like that would be viable for a long-term solution. So at the end of the day, they, like, like we said, it, it's a good pitch to try to get donors to donate, but what what really is the alternative? Because if somehow the Big 12 deformed, well, then Kansas has to look for different alternatives elsewhere. we got two more segments. One is going to be our sponsor segment, so I'm going to go solo screen for about two minutes. And then when I come back to both of you guys, get ready to – we know what we do. You wait, Cincinnati. Give me your prediction on that matchup. So I'm going solo for a segment brought to you by Steve Saxinian and the Saxinian family. All right, here we go. U of H fans, U of H alums, of, well, honestly, folks talking sports fans, FTS fans. This is for you. Houston Cougars alums and football fans. Lock in seats for 2022 with a season ticket deposit for only $75. The deposit 
to the season tickets will go toward the deposit will go toward the final cost of the 2022 season tickets. Fans can email tickets at uh.edu or call 713-GO-COOGS, 713-462-6647 during regular business hours. Lock in your seats for the 2022 Houston football season and be part of all the excitement as the Cougs stand ready to compete for another conference championship before heading into the Big 12 Conference. Score big with Houston football. Same great seats for every game. Earn priority points. Flexible payment plan options. Exclusive invitations to Houston football events. Priority access to postseason tickets. Priority access to single game tickets and pre-sales for the home games. Special pre-sale ticket offers to special events held at UH Athletics facilities. This segment was sponsored by Steve Saxinian and the Saxinian family. All right. This Sunday, February 6th, 5 p.m. Central Time in Cincinnati at 5th Third Arena. Game's going to be on ESPN2. Houston Cougars men's basketball, Cincinnati Bearcats. Either one of you guys got the got the line? I couldn't find it online. Okay. No biggie. Because you know that's not my thing. I lean on you guys for, for that kind of knowledge. But what do you say? Who's gonna win? Is this is this just a matchup where Houston is no longer undefeated in conference? I mean, I think I'm gonna take Houston um just because I think We'll see Cincinnati start off strong. They haven't played in a week, come or maybe even a, like eight days. I but they haven't played since the thirtieth, since their game with Memphis got postponed. Right. So I think we'll see them come out strong out of the gates. But I think Houston will in the end will be too much. Win by two to three possessions, so four to six points probably. Andy, what do you say? Yeah, I think uh, historically you look at it. Uh, Houston, Cincinnati's been one of the toughest plays for for Houston to play while they've been in the American Athletic Conference, but. I'd probably uh, lean Houston winning uh, just in terms overall. Again, that senior leadership and the first game of the week, I feel like they'll hang on and win. Now, I, I do think it'll probably be a, a within five points. Um, I don't know what the line is, but I'd, I'd choose the under if anything over that. But I think Houston edges out Cincinnati. Okay. I, I think the backcourts for each team will be key. Whoever wins the, that matchup in the backcourts with Jamal Shekhali, with Taze. Ramon Walker, uh, David DeJulius, Michael Adams-Wood, Jeremiah Davenport for the Bearcats. Whichever backcourt wins will probably win the game. Uh, I'm going to say it. U of H, the Bearcats are going to win. Let's put it like that. U of H won't lose. The Bearcats are going to win. You guarantee it? Nope, not guaranteeing it. Not Not doing that at all, no. I just think, like I said earlier in the show, I think one of these three games, these next three games, Houston is going to lose. Just, I mean, just the odds, honestly, because I don't see them going undefeated. Even if they were healthy, they were not going undefeated in conference play. So why not just pick the ninth game of conference play for the loss? So, you know, that's all. Don't shoot me. Don't bet on it. Don't spend your hard on money on what, what I said. Okay. Don't hit me up on Twitter. Said You said you were wrong. When you've aged one, okay, that's fine too. 
No big deal there. But yeah, I think uh, the Bearcats are going to win Sunday. Once the NBA Summer League happens uh, next summer, you gotta you gotta get a show in Vegas, and you gotta give your your picks of the day, Chris. That's a goal. That's a, hey, why not? That's you know, Summer League. Summer League is all well. Hopefully, it'll be much better health wise for everybody. Yeah, because I was gonna go to Summer League uh, last year, but that's when everything started getting bad again. So, but yeah, and sponsorships talk because sponsorships can help take us on trips. So. Sure. You're out there, alums, U of H alums, you want to support us, you appreciate, you like what we do here in Full Talking Sports, our U of H-centric segments. It's not all U of H, but it's, you know, majority of U of H, especially when Willie Gibson is not able to join us. But now, like you say, Chris, that sponsorship support, and then it leads to more coverage, more in-depth coverage. It, it does. And I thought about this, and, I, and I'm going to go with this, and I think each of us can can say it. We do, I've done, we do, and have done less with more. I would like to get be able to do more with more. Okay? Does that make sense? We've done a lot with less. We've done a lot, you know, less with more. I want to do more with more. Okay? We've done so much with less budget, less this, less that. I want us to see what we could do with a bigger budget, with with bigger bells and whistles and, and a lot of things coming at our fingertips. So sponsors, that's where you come in. Support us. You know, we've done all this more with less kind of stuff. I got thing out of backwards earlier, more with less. I want us to do more with more. As we wrap it up, James live Mueller. Shows. We can from, do live shows in the crowd. <laughs> yes. And uh, I, can, I mean, it won't hurt us to say this. James and I have, have talked about it, talked about it after one of the basketball games. When he's on the road in football season, we'd like to do us, uh, have him chime in, do a folks talk of sports with James on the road. Do that. Maybe do something with James at the, the AAC basketball tournament in Fort Worth if he's able to go. The things like NCAA that. All those things in the plan. All that. So, yes. New Orleans, Houston next season. So, yes, all those things are in the works. Sponsors. We hope you enjoy our show. Uh, Going to wrap it up now. James, how can folks find you and interact with you, connect with you via social media? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at JDM2186, and all my work is at thedailycougar.com. Mr. Yanez, how can folks find you, sir? Uh, yeah, they can follow me on Twitter at Yanez underscore five. Be sure to check out uh, another U of H Center podcast at Pod Jamma. That's P A W D. Slam and Jamma and Dayon and I obviously have discussed right now it's middle of basketball season. It's a lot of UH men's basketball, a lot of UH women's basketball talk, but uh, throughout the course of the season, obviously, uh, we've done a good job of getting guests that hopefully people find engaging and entertaining. So a lot of different avenues for whether it's UH or Chris, I know you do a lot of Houston Rockets, your Rockets talk. So we're out there. I know there was, there was a tweet i saw today about someone complaining to one some one of the local uh, radio personalities about them obviously of course they're going to talk about the houston texans for for the bulk of the year when uh, they have the sixth ranked team in the nation in men's basketball literally down in downtown so there's certainly in uh, a market there that's that's to be taken advantage of agreed and we would like help to fill that that gap of entertainment and information for fans because this is still football towns houston especially pro football 
despite the Texas being a mess. But we know that there are basketball fans out there. We know there are U of H basketball fans out there. So we're saying to you, you fans, support us. Follow Folks Talking Sports. Support us financially. Let's, let's be real. It's a business, too. Support us financially and help us get the word out about U of H basketball. Basketball in town. And hit that retweet button. Hit that retweet button. That's like free. Button. That oh. is free. Yes, indeed. And wrap it up. I'm Chris Gardner of the Houston Round Bar Review. Thank you very much for joining another edition of Folks Talking Sports presented by Houston Round Bar Review, sponsored by Steve Saxenian and the Saxenian family. Twitter, I am VHR Review. Houston Round Bar Review on YouTube. Houston Round Bar Review on Instagram. Been around since, well, say it like this, I'm almost 50 next month. The Houston Round Bar Review has been around since 1994. Local name, global perspective. Take care, everybody. See you next time.